0: Harry Ironside was a very famous pastor in the early part of the the previous century, in the early 1900s. He pastored Moody Church in Chicago, and he used to tell the following this story that I'm about to tell you, uh, and, it, and it was secondhand to him. It was told to him by a a friend of his that was a pastor, but he used to tell it. Um, there was a a young man who came to see his pastor following church one Sunday because he was so convicted of his need to confess uh, some, some sin. And the young man explained it this way. He said, Pastor, this has put me in a sad fix. You see, I, I work as a boat builder and my boss is not a Christian. And I have, I've talked to him often about his need of Christ. I have I've begged him to come and to church and hear you preach, pastor, but he mocks my faith. He derides all, all of it. But now, the young man explained, I am guilty of something that if I confess it to him, it will ruin my testimony forever. The young man went on to explain that sometime before this, he had started on his own time at his own home, he had started building a boat for himself. And one material he didn't have were the copper nails that were used in those old wooden boats because they don't rust in water. They were quite expensive. So what he had started doing was when he left in the evening, he would put a handful of copper nails in his pockets and he would take those home. And, and he told his pastor, I've come to understand that I'm a thief and I need to confess that to my boss, but... If I confess, my boss will think I'm just a hypocrite. He will never listen to my words about Jesus. Sometime later, the young man came back to his pastor and told him that he had indeed confessed. The pastor said, so, you know, what happened? And the young man said, my boss looked at me strangely and said, George, I always did think you were just a hypocrite. But now... I feel like there must be something to this religion of yours. Because any religion that would make a dishonest workman come and confess to his boss that he'd been stealing copper nails and offer to repay, there must be something in that religion worth having. The confession of sin is important, it is vital. It, it cleanses. Um, it relieves pressure. When we confess sin, that is the moment that things start getting better. Considering that sin. It may not always feel like that, but it is true. In the last two weeks... That we've been in 2 Samuel we have studied the story of David's sin and then him being confronted with that sin we studied David and Bathsheba then we studied David and Nathan the prophet David the David and Bathsheba story is a story of David seeing and desiring this this woman that he found beautiful even though he learned she she was his friend's wife who was gone at war he sent for her, he sinned with her, and then she wound up pregnant because of that sin. Then in response to that, David he had this bad idea that the tragedy would start when other people find out. And so to cover up his sin, he he tried to arrange things to get Uriah, the Bathsheba's husband, home from the war so that people would think, that the child was his, that he would even think that child was his. But Uriah didn't cooperate, he didn't visit his wife. So then David, to cover his sin, he had Uriah killed. And there were other soldiers killed in the same in the same uh, maneuver, we'll call it. Then last week we read as God sent his prophet, a man named Nathan, to confront David with with David's sin. And finally, David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. God, through Nathan, let David hear. You you might be able to hide your sin from people, but you cannot hide it from me. Well, this morning, we're going to take a break from the book of 2 Samuel. But we're not going to take a break from the story of David dealing with these specific sins. We're going to jump into the book of Psalms. Um, David was a prolific poet, songwriter. Uh, The book of Psalms in our Bibles has 150 psalms. David wrote at least 73 of those. Two of those psalms were written about these sins we've been studying in 2 Samuel. We're going to read Psalm 51 for your own study. uh, Write down Psalm 32. You'll see a verse and a half of it today, but, but you can read Psalm 32 on your own. What we're going to read is David's... David does what a lot of artists, musicians, poets have done for centuries. He takes the pain of a very personal situation, and he writes about it. It, that's the, a tale as old as time, and we're going to learn. If I could, if I boiled Psalm fifty-one down into one sentence, it would be this: confessing sin is essential for our individual and corporate spiritual and relational health. Confessing sin is essential for our individual and corporate spiritual and relational health. We're going to read Psalm 51 a little bit at a time. You can find that in a, in a Bible underneath a chair in front of you. That's on page 581. It'll be on the screen as well. But if, if I were to tell you to find Psalm 51 and, and look at or put your finger on the first word of Psalm 51, if you find yourself pointing at the word be, or your translation might have the word have, I would tell you you're half right. Because it is true, that's where the poem itself starts. But all this stuff up here, I want you to know, at least the part that starts with, for the choir director or for the chief musician, that stuff is in the Hebrew. That's not been added by the people who put your Bible together. To help you understand. This was, that's in the the Hebrew Bible. And it's important. In Psalm 51, it lets us know the author, that it was David, and sort of the setting of the Psalm. David wrote this song about his sin with Bathsheba. But don't miss the way This starts right up here. This says for the choir director or for the chief musician or something like that. Do you know what that means? Here's what this means David took the pain, the shame, the humiliation that came from the darkest period of his life. Probably he wrote this song about it and then he went extremely public with it it got included in the nation's songbook here's the most embarrassing humiliating shameful period of my life let's all memorize this and sing it together shall we why would anyone do that before you leave this morning I want you to be able to answer that question. Let's read through this thing, though, a little bit at a time. The first two verses that are on the screen here, these are like the, the topic sentence, the thesis statement of the psalm. It tells us what we're going to, to be reading in the rest of it. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. David writes, Be gracious, to me, or your translation might say, "Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin." That's that's what we're going to be reading. David, uh, David doesn't have all of the revealed Word of God that we have. We have a lot of promises from God that David just didn't have. He didn't have any of the New Testament. David wrote this a thousand years before Jesus ever lived. There's a whole lot of the Old Testament David didn't have because it hadn't been written yet either. And so what David's going to be doing is begging God to have mercy on him and and be gracious to him. Mercy just means, God, please don't give me what I actually deserve for, because of what I've done. Be gracious means, God, give me in a positive sense, give me better than I deserve in response to my sins. That's what's da- what David is going to be doing, and it's easy to understand why David might beg, because David lived under the law which said because of his adultery and multiple murders, he deserved the death penalty multiple times over. You and I might think a bit differently about our need to confess because we have promises David didn't have. Like this one. Jesus' best friend a thousand years later would write this to the church, to people who've believed in Jesus. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. If you confess your sins, if you do what we're going to be talking about today, you have this promise. God will forgive you, but He will also clean you up, cleanse you, from your unrighteousness. That's great news. Now, David didn't have that. So maybe it's, it's more understandable why David would beg for mercy and maybe we wouldn't. But I want you to know this morning, every time we confess to God and ask Him to forgive us, it is a, we're begging for mercy. Just because the mercy we are begging for has been promised us already, from someone who cannot break his promises is not the same thing as thinking we should take it for granted. That God has promised to give his mercy is is not the same thing as believing that like I sort of deserve it. Because I don't. We do not deserve forgiveness from God ever. The guarantee of forgiveness shouldn't slow down our understanding that what we're doing is, is begging God to not give us what we actually deserve for our sin. And the even our guarantee I know if I confess my sin, God will forgive me and clean me up from it. I know. But it's still based on the same thing David bases his request on. David says, have mercy on me or be gracious to me, O God. Why? Because I'm not that bad of a guy? Because what I've done isn't all that bad? No, not be gracious to me because of who I am. Be gracious to me because of who you are. Have mercy on me according to your, the Hebrew word here is hesed, that we studied a few weeks ago. That because of your loyalty to your promises, because of your loving kindness, Have, give me some mercy here because that's the kind of God you are, because of your compassion, or your Bible might say your tender mercies. You want to hear a, a neat little Hebrew tidbit Right here where where this translation says, your compassion. You know what the Hebrew says literally? Because of your great wombs, like a mother's womb. That's what the Hebrew says. Be gracious to me because of your great wombs. It's David's poetic way of saying, be gracious to me, God, because like I remember when I was little and I was bad and my mom knew I was bad. And she still loved me and wanted me anyway. You're like that, like times a thousand, God. So David will be begging God for forgiveness and for cleansing based on God's character. And then verse 2, he's going to be asking to to be washed, cleansed. Listen. Listen sin still makes us dirty. It does. Even though we have, on this side of the cross, we have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to us, which is like the greatest Scotch guard that was ever, like there ever was. Right? When we're covered with the blood of Jesus, it's like we know that our, that our filth won't stick. We know we will ultimately be forgiven and cleansed from all of our sins. But listen, sin still makes us dirty. It still gunks us up in our relationship with God and our relationship to others. It still hurts. It hurts us. It hurts others. And God still washes people. though we ultimately will be, as Christians, forgiven. We still need to be cleaned up from the damaging effects that are hanging on to our sin produces. And again, we need this for our own good. We need it for the good of our relationships, our marriages, our friend groups, our workplaces, our church. And all that's just the topic sentence. We better keep going. That's what David is going to be He's begging for mercy and asking to be cleaned up. And he's going to start to try to get that through confession. Verses 3 through 6. Let's read those. David writes, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you'll make me know wisdom. All right, when David says, this is the confession portion of the poem, of the song. When David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. That word for know is not just be cognizant of. It's, It's like this. I am intimately aware of my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. That is David saying, my sin is right out here in front. My sin, I recognize as sin. To confess just means to agree with God about my sin to see my sin the way God sees my sin confession that's so important for us in our spiritual health and our relationships confession cannot have any like strings attached david says my sin is ever before me you know what we tend to do with our sin keep it back here it's not really sin it can kind of be explained away. Our confession can't have any, yeah, but God, you know how, he's, how he gets. You know what she's like. You know the situation I was in. So under the circumstances, no, no, no. For confession to actually do its cleansing work, our sin has to be out in front of us. We have to know the sininess of our sin and agree with God about it. None of the good stuff we're going to talk about that happens when we confess our sin is going to happen for me, for you, for us when that sin is still kind of held behind our back as if it's not really all that bad. You'll never be cleaned up fully in this life from the damaging effects of your sin and if, if you refuse to see it as sin. Now, verse 4, we got to explain a little bit. Because David says in verse 4, does this sound true? You're the only one I've sinned against, God. Against you, you alone, you only I have sinned. I've only done evil in your sight. You remember what David did? Like multiple murders and adultery and a whole bunch of lying about the murders and the adultery. Is it true that God's the only one that did David hurt? No. He hurt Bathsheba. He certainly hurt Uriah. He hurt all those other soldiers that died at the same time as Uriah. But all those soldiers... Did they have mommies at home? How'd they feel when they get, got the word, I'm sorry to inform you, madam? In fact, the whole nation is hurt. So how can it be true for David to say against you, you alone have I sinned? David's using hyperbole, overstatement, to prove, to prove a point. It's like David, it's like David is saying, it, it really didn't matter that I could keep this hidden from everyone else. It was already awful when you were the only one who knew, but also, there is no one we can offend worse with our sin than a holy, perfect God who created us and has given us everything that we have. There's no one who deserves it less. There's no one we can wrong more. That's what David, in his, his poetic way of understanding, that's what he's saying. That's why he says, um, that's why he says, so you'll be right. Whatever you decide to do with me, I know you'll be right. Like I'm begging for Mercy. But if you decide it's time for me to die under the law, you'd be right, you'd be just. You'd be blameless. Because you were perfect and I have sinned against you. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who didn't see or who I can convince. Even if I can convince myself, my sin's not very sinny. I've still sinned against you. Next in verses 5 and 6, David says this to God. He says, I know you desire truth in the innermost being. You desire me to be upright, honest, a man of integrity. That's what you desire. But there's something broken about me. Verse 5 there's been something broken about me from my earliest beginnings. Verse five, what David says about his mama here, he's not blaming his mom for his problems. And he's not saying his mom was doing anything wrong when David was conceived. That's not what this means. David just says, I understand the most broken thing about my situation is me. For confession to work, we've got to get there. It's so easy to convince myself. The most broken thing here is my circumstances, that person, what happened then? For confession to work, I've got to understand what is broken with this sin is the sinner, It's me. And David says, from my earliest beginnings, like I want to be that upright dude. I constantly blow it because there's something broken in me. It's called the fall of man and we're all playing. We, again, we, we're not pretty good people who wind up messing up and then we become sinners. We become sinners because we're broken from the beginning. So now David has Confessed. I will assume in real life. Remember, this is a poem about the season of his life. I will assume he has confessed specifically his sins. He told us in the little introduction part that that's what this was about. Um, Now he's going to ask God for some stuff. First, after he's confessed his sin, he asks God um, to be cleansed, to be cleaned up. He told us this was coming. Here it comes, verses 7, 8, and 9. uh, David says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. So David, multiple times he's used these words. Purify me. Wash me. Cleanse me. That's what he wants God to do to him. He's not looking for what he can do to make God think that has happened. He wants God to wash him. And and notice this. He believes God can do it. David doesn't say, after what I've done, God, I'm sure you don't like me anymore if you really know all I've done, oh, right? Which is how we feel. Listen, what's David guilty of? I always keep reminding you of this. It's some big ones, right? Multiple murders, adultery. But David says, if you purify me, I shall be clean. If you wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. If David doesn't say, Make me better than I used to be. Make me better than that guy. Make me whiter than snow. And he says, If you wash me, that's what I'll be. We sing that line in, in some of our songs I, I shall be whiter than snow. You ever stop to think about that for just a second? That's pretty white right? What could possibly be whiter than snow? David's asking God to do something that people can't do. Your behavioral improvement, you and your accountability partner, which is is good, you and your self-discipline, you and your trying harder to do better next time, you cannot make you whiter than snow. God can Whatever those sins are, you really don't think can be forgiven? Hold them up to this. God really can make us look to him like we never sinned a single one of those sins. Next, David says, I want to, I want to have joy and gladness again. We're going to talk about joy. He says, uh, I want to rejoice. We'll talk about that on the next slide. So hang on to that one for a minute. David says, let the bones which you have broken rejoice. What bones did God break? This is David's poetic way to talk about the pressure God has put on him in that nine months he spent since he sinned his sins and when he confessed those sins. In the other psalm I mentioned, Psalm 32, he wrote about it this way. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And in this psalm he says, I felt like you were breaking my bones. For the Christian Christian, unconfessed sin will result in pressure from God that wouldn't be there either if we hadn't sinned the sin or until we confess you want to know one great one great result of confessing our sins oh, the the pressure is relieved you ever watch true crime shows like real ones like the first 48 That's my personal favorite. You can write that down and save it for later. Over and over, these people who've committed crimes, they come in and and half the time they cannot wait to just get off their chest what they've done. Right? Guilt puts pressure on us that can only be relieved one of two ways. Either confession or a seared conscience. We can get so good at putting our sin behind our back and blaming this pressure that I'm under on a hundred other things that we really don't see confession as a way to even relieve my life of this pressure. Half the time, and I think David might have been in this boat, half the time we don't know the pressure that we're under is actually because of our own confessed sin, our own unconfessed sin this pressure that God has on us, what pressure are you walking around with in your life that is there because you won't get honest about your sin? Maybe, just maybe, it ain't everyone else's fault. Just maybe. I think when David confesses his sin... And he feels the release of that pressure. I think he looks back and goes, oh man, this was my good daddy putting pressure on me to get me back where I needed to be with him. I had to stop pretending that my sin wasn't sinny. I had to stop pretending and convincing myself, well, under the circumstances, anybody would have done that. And he loved me enough to confront me with mine. And that, that release is real. Confession can relieve us from bone-crushing pressure. Next, David asks, so he's asked for cleansing from sin after he's confessed. We should do this, by the way. We should confess our sin after we've confessed our sin. Father, I know you've promised to do this, but will you please clean me up? from will you take back will you just take your giant holy q-tip and just just clean all the gunk out of my heart that was put there by my sin he will do that if you wash me I will be clean stop believing your sin is too big for God because it's not that's just pride that your sins are somehow bigger than David's I I don't care what they are. You had an abortion? God can forgive you and clean you up from that. Did you pay for one? God can forgive you and clean you up from that. And I, I have no illusions. I'm not talking about anyone here, but in a crowd this size, we're here. This is us. Did you experiment with, mess around with, homosexuality? If someone in this church has made you feel too dirty to be cleaned up, forgive us for that because God can clean you up from that. Confess your sin. And he will make you whiter than snow. Not better than most. Most. whiter than snow. Next, David asks in verses 10 through 12 to be restored spiritually. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. David says, let me walk with you again, Lord. Can we be cool again, God? And I want you to notice, David doesn't want to be cleaned up so he can dive back into the pigsty he just got out of. Right? This is not the weekly ritual of I come through church, tell God everything I did wrong. I'm cleaned up for this week. See you next week, God. Leave me alone for six and a half days till I need you again. No. David says, will you help me have a heart that desires the cleanness you give me when I confess? I want a steadfast spirit I want to be upright. Not because my uprightness and self-discipline makes me okay with you. Your cleansing does that. But I want to have more and more a heart that matches the cleanness that you give, that desires that. And notice again, over and over in this little section, the last slide in this one, David says that he wants joy. Joy. Now, you might say, well, no duh, Matt. Who doesn't want joy? You want me to tell you who doesn't want joy in response to confessing our sins? Us. Because okay, I, I hear it over and over. I, but I just can't forgive who? Myself. Because you know what I think? Because of my sin, I have to lock myself away in time out. Until I get myself punished enough because I can't like me. God can't like me, right? I am Eeyore, still looking for that tail. Is that too dated of a reference? Do people understand what I'm saying? Listen, that's what we think we should do with our sin. Put ourselves in time out. You know what? I should want to feel really rotten and awful. and I don't mean to belittle because I get that too. But you know what we should want? Joy. But pay attention to the kind of joy we're supposed to want. David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, when we, when we want to keep ourselves in time out and keep flagellating ourselves spiritually for how terrible we are, it's because what we actually want is the joy of my own righteousness. And that chicken flew the coop a long time ago. What I'm mourning is the lack of my righteousness. What we should desire is the joy of his salvation that comes to actual miserable sinners who commit murder and adultery and insert your sin that you think is too gross here too. What we want is the joy of the salvation that comes from a God who can offer it to people like us. I don't want to be this person who doesn't need that because there aren't any. The joy of your salvation which comes in spite of my sin. That's what David's looking for. It's what he wants and that's why What comes next, comes next. Remember at the beginning when I said, why would David go so public with this terrible, awful sin? Look at verses 13 through 17. David is going to vow to go public with his sin. Read it with me. Then, so then what? Then, if I've confessed, you clean me up, you give me a, a clean heart, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You do that, God? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach other sinners what you do for sinners. I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise for you do not delight in sacrifice otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. All right. Why did David go public with his sin? Because that's what makes God attractive. David says, you clean me up from this. You restore the joy that comes from walking with the holy righteous God. I'll go tell everybody what you do for sinners. I will, that's what makes other sinners be converted. You know, you convincing everyone else you're not wrong. You convincing everyone else, me convincing everyone else of my righteousness. It does not make people want to know Jesus. It makes me hard to be around. What makes God attractive is grace and mercy because that's what people really need. They don't need to feel inadequate in comparison to your righteousness. That's not helpful. David says, you clean me up, God, and then sinners will be converted to you because they'll see what you did with this sinner right here. Look at verse 15. Oh Lord, open my lips. Do you need help getting your mouth open? What do you suppose David is saying poetically there? You think David wanted to go tell people about his adultery and murders? No. God says, open my mouth and make me, to give me the courage and the guts to do this. Because there's people out there that need to know you are not done with them because you weren't done with me. Lord, if there was some religious, I don't want to just go in private, do some religious thing that nobody's ever going to know about and think we're okay. That's not what you want. You don't need more dead animals. You don't want more dead animals. David says, you want me. But before you can have all of me, you got, I've got to break my own righteousness. I've got to break my own heart. Confess it to you. Then we can walk together. And David ends with a prayer for the common good. He says, By your favor, do good to all of Israel. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. If you do what you want to do through my testimony, God, then when people come and do the religious stuff at church, they'll be doing it for the right reasons. They'll be worshiping you together the way you designed. Then you'll delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering and young bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay. David's sinful situation handled correctly will be good for everyone. That's what he prays. Use this evil, awful situation for the good of everyone. I've got to land the plane here, but listen. We need to make a habit of confessing our sin to God and to each other. Only for two reasons. One, you need it for your own good. Two, the rest of us need it. First, you need it for your own good. There is pressure on your life when you have unconfessed sin that does not need to be there. Get honest with the one who knows anyway. Sin does soil us, stain us, dirty us, gunk us up. Confession really does clean us up and make us whiter than snow. It restores us into relationship. It's the first step we cannot repent of sin we haven't confessed. But second, you need my confession almost as bad as I need my confession. The rest of us need your confession. It's good for the corporate health. See, we, we, have, we have some bad ideas about this. Does this, does this sound familiar? We have this false notion. Well, if anybody finds out about this, though, it's going to damage my testimony. Anybody? Mm Hmm. In some ways, that's true. If you want your testimony to be about how righteous you are. We think that's true for us. Then Scott Mathis visits church the spitting cowboy, that's his name for himself, not mine. Right? And he shares his testimony about the reality and the darkness of his sin. Brady Cone, we support as a missionary, he stands up here and he shares his testimony about the blackness of his sin. And we are all impacted in intangible, powerful ways. Because God has always grown the body of Christ, like David outlines in, verse, in, in Psalm 51. When we refuse to talk about our sins toward God, that pressure's not going anywhere. When we refuse to talk to our sin about our sins to one another, there's growth that doesn't happen that could and should. He saved me from my sins. There is power in the blood it took to do that, and there's power in the story of someone who has been grown out of the darkness by the, by the God who's never done with sinners. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful that we read of of David's confidence that that you washed him of his terrible sin. God, some of us just need the reminder that we really can be forgiven from sins we just don't feel like we can be forgiven of. Some of the rest of us are still holding sin kind of behind our backs, convincing ourselves and others around us that we're not actually wrong. Some of the rest of us have confessed and have been cleaned up and have grown through sin, but we still are scared to tell anybody about what you have done for us for fear of what other people will think. I, this. This passage will meet us all in different places and I don't know what those are, but you do. So I pray God you would use uh, Psalm 51 and this time together to reach into the hearts of us as a group, to bring uh, the growth, the confession, the redemption that would make you look great that would make a big deal out of you and your work that makes us whiter than snow. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up with us? and We'll conclude our time together.